You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. What to talk about, what to talk about. My gosh, so much going on this weekend. I mean, it's the fourth Sunday of Easter. We're halfway through the Easter season and it is Good Shepherd Sunday, Sunday where we celebrate Christ as our Good Shepherd. Of course, it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you all. And, uh, and then, we, of course, we had the big news out of, uh, I guess, Washington this week uh, with the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion. So I think, okay, what are we going to talk about? Don't worry. It will not be three homilies. Maybe one and a half, pushing two. But in the end, I think we stick with Christ. We stick with our good shepherd, as we always do, for the predominant part of our minds and how we gather each Sunday, we focus on him. You know, in our first reading today, we hear of the journeys of Paul and Barnabas and they're being met with varied reactions, but essentially by the establishment anyway, rejection, the rejection of the word of Christ. Uh, and then when they are rejected by the establishment, the Jewish establishment, uh, they turn to the Gentiles and they preach the word to the Gentiles, citing, of course, what Jesus said about being a light to all the nations. And the Gentiles, it's interesting, had this reaction. They were delighted when they heard this. They were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of the Lord. And what that means to glorify the word of the Lord is that they began to live their lives like Christ taught. They're giving God greater glory in the good lives that they were leading. By the way, we're Gentiles. That's us that we're speaking to. I mean, I, I, there may be someone in the church of Jewish descent or even of the Jewish faith and welcome, we love you. But for the most part, we're all Gentiles. This is us. And I think we have to kind of look at this and during this Easter season where we speak of hope and joy, do we delight? in the word that has been spoken to us? And do we know the word that's been spoken to us? Because here Paul and Barnabas are struggling. Right? They're being spelled from cities. And then in our second reading today from the book of Revelation, we hear the imagery of, of heaven and worship of God, but the ones who are there are the ones who have survived the time of great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Or as they, they've made it through the rain, so to speak. And they've lived through times of great distress. Now we claim, as our psalm says, that we are the people of his flock. And we hear in our gospel reading today that Jesus says of us, if we are, that I know them and they follow me, but my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. So throughout this Easter season, I've been mentioning, you know, and I know it's a time of great joy and and glitter and celebration and all of those things that we're supposed to be doing. But that has to be tempered with the reality that we're still walking in a time of great distress. We are still struggling to have the word of God implanted into us and for us to actually glorify God in our lives. We're still sinners in need of God's mercy. We're still needing to walk the path of discipleship. And what we think of in hope and enjoy is the fact that if we walk that path, then we can enjoy 
the great hope that God promises, that we're on our way. And I know that, you know, all of us, we, we want to think of ourselves, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And we have to put ourselves in the proper perspective. I think we forget that when God created us, he created us perfectly. I mean, as a matter of fact, what heaven's going to look like is what God created in the beginning. Full union with him, the way we were supposed to be, not sick, no death, perfect virtue, all of those things that we think of heaven, the incredible joy because we're in complete union with God. That's what heaven looks like. And that's how God created us. So when we think of our fallen nature, where we are now, we're below the waterline. And what we're doing is we're trying to be rescued by God. We're drowning. And God is just bringing us back up to the waterline. We're not good. We're just maybe not as bad as we used to be when we think of the victories that Christ has in our lives. Or maybe not, that sounds so harsh. I'm sorry, it's Mother's Day. <laughs> not as bad as we used to be. We're not, we're not as complete as we used to be, I guess is the nice way of putting it. But we're not where we need to be. And so the reason why we celebrate Easter is that we are being rescued. We are being pulled up out of the water. God has given us a path to life instead of death. By the way, that's why water is the symbol of life and death. You know, he's pulling us up to give us some air and hopefully to keep us where we need to be. But all we're doing is getting back to where we were supposed to be without our sins. And the joy is that we have been given a path because the people of the Old Testament, they did not have a path. Death was death. Death was extinction. Death was life is over. Now we have a path and that's what we celebrate. And we have such a good shepherd that he showed us the way. His life, his passion, his death, and then of course the resurrection, what we hope to follow. But we're still living in the passion. And so we do have our trials, our struggles, our sins, all those things that we have to hope to God that we receive his mercy and his forgiveness and that we accept the grace to amend our lives and to move forward in his love. And so when we think of the hope of Easter, we have to remember, I love our children. <laughs> they really do. They make me stop and think. I was like, God is telling me to stop and think just for a minute. I know better than to yell over them because if I do, they just get louder. So, so sometimes I get low, but he took her back. That's fine. By the way, parents, we really do love our kids. Do whatever you need to do in order to help them. If you get a dirty look from somebody in the pew, too bad on them. Your pastor loves you. As we think of hope, the hope of Easter, hope is a supernatural virtue. We don't talk about it enough. But the hope is that we will one day be restored in union with Christ as we were. But hope is a work in progress. It's not this nebulous kind of feeling of the heart. You know, if I asked everybody in the church, you know, right now, I said, hey, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hands. I think I would get 100% participation. As a matter of fact, I didn't ask it. There's a little one in the front last night. And she was like right there, ready to go. There we go. I got another one. Thank you. Yes, I know. I, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. But the devil's in the details, as we like to say. It's not so much do we want to go to heaven, but are we willing to do what we need to do to walk the path to get to heaven? And that's where our discipleship comes into play. That yes, we know of this great hope at the end of our lives, and we have little Easter's in between where we're getting closer to the waterline, we're getting closer to that air. But at the same time, 
We have to prioritize that faith and we have to live it. And the Pope one time said, and it was Pope John Paul II, he said, you know, the, he began an encyclical with the world has lost hope. And I always wondered what that meant. And what it meant was the world was not prioritized on eternal life. And he meant that globally, not just us. And we have to do that individually. And so when I think of us losing hope, where do we lose hope? Where does our hand not go up? Because the church and Christ may command all these things and we say, I'll do A, I'll do B, I'll do C, I'll do X, I'll do Y, I'll do Z. And then we read G and we go, oh no, that's too much to ask him. I'm not going there. That's where we lose hope. I'm not following that command of Christ. I am not turning my cheek. I do not want to love that enemy. I do not, a lot of tough stuff. And during this year of St. Luke's gospel, we're going to, we're going to kind of work on that after the Easter season when we get back to it. But our job is to find out what's that ouch point? <laughs> what's that ouch point? Oh no, that's too much for me to give. Whether it's time, talent, treasure, emotional, whatever. Where is that ouch point? Or am I just comfortable where I am? Am I comfortable where I am? And, and people who have had great distress as we heard in our second reading or maybe the things that St. Paul and St. Barnabas are experiencing, you know, some of us get that naturally. All of us have had times in our lives where we're disappointed, where we struggle, where we sin, all of that. And so did they. But do we keep on going? Do we have the virtue of fortitude because of the hope that we hope and the joy that we one day hope to experience? And that's what Easter is all about. And throughout the Easter season, it's important to remember it's not just about jumping up and down, it's about following Christ. Do we hear his voice? Do we hear him commanding us what we need to do because we're not his friends unless we do what he commands and he says that himself and so the conventional wisdom of the world is often at odds with what Christ teaches are we going to reject the conventional wisdom and be with Christ to hear his voice and whatever happens because we are doing what he says we let it happen knowing that it's helping us to move towards salvation and the hope that we celebrate during this season Speaking of conventional wisdom, we'll move to mothers just for a moment. Thank you, mothers, very much. You know, most of you know I lost my mother uh, a couple of years ago. I continue to pray that she's at home in heaven. Uh, by the way, that's not a shot at her. Uh, she would be mortified if I didn't pray for her and dad. They were, had a big devotion to praying for the dead. They said, never presume anything. That was some of the humility that they had. That's kind of what I miss. Isn't it funny? The older we get the smarter our parents get. I, I don't know what that is, but it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I, I'll, I'll figure it out at some point. For our mothers, speaking of conventional wisdom, the world will teach all sorts of different theories and philosophies and all these other things about child rearing and et cetera, whether it's psychological, emotional, all this kind of stuff. That's fine. Be educated in your vocation, certainly. But let's remember, and this is in the bulletin if you want to take it home and read it. I'm not going to belabor it. Mothers are good shepherds. Fathers are good shepherds. Anything that's inconsistent with the teachings of Christ is not good motherhood or good fatherhood. Anything. So when the world teaches something that's not consistent or that's the conventional wisdom, the answer is no. A child needs a mother and a father who love each other and love them and everything else will fall into place, simply for them to love as Christ loved. And if that happens, 
they will be psychologically, emotionally, and actually, if you teach them a little bit about the world and how to survive, they'll be just fine. But never let the world mark you, move you off the mark of what being a good mother is. It is imitating the good shepherd and loving as Christ loved, period. Now we move to something a little less pleasant, I guess, the thought of the leak at the Supreme Court, the antithesis of motherhood. And I just had a couple of comments. First of all, to draft opinion. We don't know what's going to happen. Secondly, it's a good opinion. I read it. I'm a lawyer. You guys know that. Actually, it's intellectually honest. Uh, the, the old opinion, the, the first one, Roe v. Wade, it was constitutionally bad. It was philosophically bad. And of course, in my and our opinions, it was morally bad. Okay. But the bigger issue is that it usurped power from people, the, demo, uh, you know, the democratic process. And, and that's an issue that's been going on for a long time and it's kind of overarching. And it's good to see the federal government pulling back. It's not in the Constitution. Therefore, the states have the rights to it, to d regulate it, whatever it may be. So I imagine New York and California aren't going to change much. Louisiana and Texas will, and other states will do what they do. But there's a certain contentment and peace that comes with people self-regulating and not having things imposed upon them that should not be imposed upon them. We in Louisiana did a great job a year or two ago with the Love Life Amendment because what it did is it made sure that we in our vote decide what we do regarding this issue. I make this joke. This is actually being recorded so I probably shouldn't do it. But, you know, I said we don't have to worry about a crazy judge in Evangeline Parish you know, saying that the whole state has to follow what their decision is. And I, I'm sorry if there's someone here from Evangeline Parish. I am. That goes back to my law days. They had some pretty unique judges in Evangeline Parish. So that's why I'm picking on them a little bit. Good people, though. Good people. But it allows us to make the decision and to hold our legislators accountable. And that's where this should be. And so it's really empowering the people whether it's in New York where we know how they're gonna vote and whether it's Louisiana where we know how we have voted. And it was an overwhelming vote. And I'm so glad that we did that because now we've preserved our ability to exercise our rights. Whether I agree with them or not, at least we all get to do that. And that's something that I hope is a movement that's more and more prevalent in our courts, not to usurp power, but to give it back to those that the Constitution has entrusted it to. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens as things go on. It's a draft opinion, but it's been verified that that was a draft. Who knows? But we pray that whatever the decision is, we still have a lot of work to do. We still have to convince minds and hearts of the dignity of life from the very beginning. We still have to take care of the children who are born under not ideal circumstances. And in St. Pius, we do that. We have to still care for mothers who are trying to care for those children, all of those things. And so the, really, the work is just beginning, but at least we're not being prevented from doing the work by a legal instrument that was wrongly decided to begin with. So we pray that we're willing to step up. And we also pray that our society can become more and more just in what she does regarding human dignity.